sporting news, reviews and previews. This is the Sports Desk. You're listening to the Sports Desk on Sin. My name's Finn, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts Kendra and Luca. And it's been a big week in sport, especially Australian sport. We've got the AFL finals that just happened, the NRL finals that happened the day after, English Premier League roundup, another heavily loaded week. Uh, the Giro wrapped up, F1, uh, Portugal. They went to Portugal with Lewis Hamilton getting his 92nd win. And then we may be talking about some Australian sport rivalries. If you want to listen to any previous shows or this show, you can check out our um, podcasts on Omni and our Instagram and Facebook at the Sports Desk. It's been quite a uh, weekend of sport here. Uh, we've been excited to watch it as well. Uh, Kendra, your Richmond Tigers, they took home the AFL Premiership. How are you feeling? Oh, well, now I'm feeling good, but while watching the match, I have to say I was quite stressed. Geelong did have an early lead and it wasn't looking very good for the Tigers, but they definitely picked up in the last half of the match and Dusty, well, he he was something else in that match, especially with that banana goal, which I'm sure we'll get to. He was also the Norm Smith. How did you find the match, Luca? Yeah, I was, uh, I, to be honest, I tipped Geelong to win by three points uh, at the start of the match. I thought that uh, the rain and heavy rain before the game would have uh, unsettled most of the players and yeah it was it was to my surprise uh in the second half they came out firing hey richmond taking the victory 81 to 50 uh geelong scored maybe two goals in that second half Uh, just incredible stuff I, i couldn't believe what i was watching yeah i think that geelong was so strong in the first half i think that i was seeing lots from like tom hawkins in dangerfield in the first half but in the second half i feel like the richmond players just shut them down and really came out i mean obviously we had shay bolton who was very good in the midfield and then yeah dusty he he won the norm smith and scored four goals and one of those goals was i reckon just an absolute fluke he's just so instinctive around the goals it just seems like he never misses yeah, when he was taking the set shot, uh, what was it? I think it was from the pocket in the second quarter. He tried a, a right-footed banana, and that went that went horribly wrong. So I think when he's on the run, goal ahead of him, free space. That's that's when he's most dangerous. Yes, definitely. And it was such a good match, though. Well, probably just for Richmond supporters, but also for Geelong. They did they did play very well, and also we saw Gary Ablett play his final match. What did you think of the Little Masters last match? Hey, well, he, he uh, proved all the doubters wrong. He has been an incredible uh, custodian of the game, AFL. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's left quite an, a legacy behind him. Even with going like, it's like semi-injuring his shoulder in the first quarter, like within the first five minutes of the game, he also had Nick Blossom getting injured, concussed, uh, getting carted off. He was unable to continue. But yeah, they gave him a guard of honour at the end of the game, which showed how much respect uh, Gary Abu has earned, let's say, over his career. 
Yeah, that shoulder didn't look very good after he injured in the first half. Um, He looks like he was in a lot of pain for the rest of the match. I'm just wondering if he should have actually stayed on. I'm sure they just kept him on because it was his last game. But you just wonder whether he was actually fit to play. That's what I was thinking when he kept playing and he kept hurting his shoulder as he was playing. And also that Geelong player who was taken off in the stretcher, that did not look good, but thankfully they were all okay. I think when that happened, Geelong lost a little bit of confidence in the game. Yeah, that's for certain. That's for certain. That's for certain. Uh, they didn't, uh, I read a stat saying uh, Patrick Dangerfield never once uh, was had a received mark. Like he only had like contested possessions here and there, but didn't really have a big impact over the game as a whole, which is disappointing as seeing as he's an All-Australian. It was his first grand final appearance as well. Yeah, not a great night for Dangerfield. Yeah, and I also found in the last half, the Geelong players were obviously getting very frustrated, but I saw that particularly from Selwood. He was losing almost a bit of focus in a way. He's a really good player, but yeah, you could see that they were all just getting really frustrated and almost a bit flustered, and they couldn't defend Richmond's strong attacking in the last half, so I think that's what lost them the game almost. I mean, it could have gone anyway between the two sides. They both have played so well during the year, but I think Richmond just came with the focus in the last quarter. Last quarter. That's for certain. That's for certain. Now, now, Kendra, I wanted to ask you, where does this, this premiership put Richmond in uh, the AFL's like uh, history, let's say they've won three premierships in four years. Uh, Damien Hardwick is the first Richmond coach to win three premierships. Uh, where do where do you see Richmond now as a football club? See, I'm always comparing Richmond to Hawthorne. Hawthorne had like a three peep at three in a row. I don't think Richmond can honestly brag until they've done that. Would you agree? Yeah, that would be that would be interesting to see next year. How the, how the game shapes up if we're still in this situation where there's like an AFL hub and there's, there won't be any like home games as well. Longer formats of the game. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see next year for sure. See, the thing is with Richmond, I mean, I've been obviously gloating about it, saying that they are a dynasty, but I just wonder like within the next year, obviously we had so many clubs play really, really well that were almost equal to Richmond, like, even though they beat Port Adelaide, Port Adelaide are a very strong team as well as Geelong. And I definitely think that they are going to definitely be serving it up to Richmond next year. I don't think that Richmond are going to stay on top for all that much longer with these other teams that are doing so well. I think the other teams just didn't have the same confidence as the Richmond players. Yeah, you could tell in the second quarter, like in the, in the second half of the game, I felt they were playing too safe Geelong or they weren't taking as much risk going up forward whereas Richmond they were just they were just so focused and had a mission in, in their head so like, all right we're going to win this game we're not going to sit back and just wait till the game comes to us they're going to attack it for themselves all right coming up uh, on the rest of the sports desk here on scene this Wednesday morning we'll be discussing the NRL grand final that took place on Sunday night between Melbourne Storm and Penrith Panthers but before that we're going to get to a quick song uh, it's by Telly Ho from Psychedelic Porn Crumpets. You're listening to the Sports Desk this Wednesday morning with Kendra, Finn, and Luca. You're listening to the Sports Desk this Wednesday morning with Finn, Kendra, and Luca. The song you just heard was Telly Ho by Psychedelic Porn Crumpets. Now we're going to get to the NRL Grand Final, Melbourne Storm, Penrith Panthers. Finn, this was an excellent display of rugby league, if I do say so myself. Yeah, definitely. It ended up the Storm won at 26 to 20. And 
I'm not sure about the score. I'm not sure really how it reflects the game. I mean, when you think, when you break it down in the first half, it was, I think, 22 to 0 for the Storm. And then in the second half, it was 20 uh, to 4 to Penrith. And so it kind of flipped on its head. And by the end of it, it looked like all the momentum was going Penrith's way. Um, And it looked like if there were 10 more minutes, they may have brought it back. I'm not sure. What do you think, Luca? Yeah, I've got to say some of the coaching decisions from Penrith coach Ivan Cleary just kind of boggled me. He was like too much dabbling with the formation and uh, with his player decisions. I think he left Manning on the bench and he's been one of their star players all season. And he brought him on in the second half. You can see where the impact was made and with the comeback was coming in. But still, Storm, they showed their experience. Uh, they played. They caught him off guard sometimes. Like, I thought that Penrith were going to come out blazing, guns blazing. They had some few tries disallowed. Or still, Storm, they were just too good in the first half. Yeah, they got those, uh, they got those two breaks where they both, um, I think, uh, I forgot, I think it was Runa Valu, uh, but they both went on breaks and they just got those almost 50, 60 meter tries. And I feel like the Penrith defense, they just let it pass or rather they were both on turnovers or one was on turnover actually. But did, what did you think of the commentating? Because that's been kind of uh, subject to criticism. Yeah, that's been in the headlines, like Phil Gould. Uh, I think he's a diehard Penrith supporter, right? He's uh he was um, the chairman. He was the chairman. Okay. So that's like Eddie Maguire, like commentating on Collingwood matches. Yeah. I just, I, I thought it was so biased. Everything, it, no matter how well Storm did, it was always Penrith are unlucky. Penrith have tried. And it just seemed, it wasn't, I mean, it's always been Sydney biased because obviously the game is much bigger in Sydney. I'm sure it's the same for the AFL um, in Melbourne or Victoria. But it just, and especially with that first uh, Penrith try, where it wasn't actually a try. Um, yeah, just, I'm not sure about it. It seemed, it frustrated me towards the end. Yeah, I don't think, uh, like, I think a lot of the, like, a lot of the Storm players, especially Cam Smith, like, he's from the Queensland. So that kind of added fuel to the fire as well. Like, you got two states, like Victoria and Queensland. And that New South Wales animosity as well didn't help. But yeah, Phil Gould, yeah, his commentary, very biased. Um, not what you want to hear at like a certain level, like a high professional level, such as like where the broadcast is being held. So yeah, kind of disappointing from uh, a novice perspective. But still, <laughs> you can't have like let your passion for your club seep into like your, your, uh, your broadcast for the game. Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you think that was Cameron Smith's last game? Or do you think he's got another season in him? I want to say, I hope it is his last game. After seeing him like talk with his players after the game, it feels like he still is like, the best player on the team. For some reason, like, in those clutch moments, he, he's the leader. He's the go-to guy. He brings everyone together. Like, he steadies this field, you know? I don't know. How about you, how about you Finn? Yeah, I hope I don't I hope it is not his last game. I still think he's obviously he's got the most made the most tries, most points out of anyone um in NRL and I feel like it's he's such a great player that and they said obviously that he he shouldn't announce his retirement last night. It'll probably be within the within this week if it even happens. 
because they didn't want to take it away from Melbourne Storm. But I just, I hope he's got another season in him because I think the Storm is so strong and that the the coach, um, I'm not sure, Craig, Craig Bellamy, I want to say. Yeah. He's just so, he gets the most out of his players and it's just great to watch. He also expects a lot from his players. When Penrith started that comeback, he was getting very animated in the coach's box. And when Penrith scored that last try to get him in like touching distance to level the match, I saw him like kick a chair in the in the coach's box. What, what did you think of his like know, reactions or behavior? I I think he's that. I think that's just how he is. I think maybe that is why they're such a they've got a culture of winning. There he does even when they're up, he's screaming and shouting. And it's he's scary. He he's horrifying to watch. Like I don't know how those players um, sort of aren't terrified of him, or maybe they are, and that's that's why it's effective. But I feel like he if he's such a good coach, and maybe that is an attributing factor that he cares so much. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, uh, here's hoping that uh, Melbourne Storm can go back to back next year. <laughs> but yeah, definitely. It, it'll be a it'll be a challenge seeing as. Uh, yeah, if we if we do get rugby league back next season, depends on the COVID. But yeah, anyway, uh, we're gonna get to a quick song break now. After the song, we'll be having an EPL roundup. Uh, you're listening to the sports desk here on Sin this Wednesday morning with Finn, Kendra, and Luca. The song you're about to hear is "Let's Go," Sharon Van Etten. All right, that was Let Go by Sharon Van Etten. Now we're going to do an EPL roundup over the weekend. So we had Southampton versus Everton, which was 2-0. Then we had Chelsea versus Man U, which was 0-all. Then we had Liverpool Liverpool versus Shelford United, 2-1. And then Man City versus West Ham, 1-all. Then we had Aston Villa, 0 no, Aston Villa versus Leeds, 0-3. Yes. Uh, should we start off with Chelsea Van Uffin, your, your boys in blue? Yeah. I am personally quite happy with that result. Ooh, after why do you our, say that? After our last couple of matches, we've been so weak defensively. We got a draw in Sevilla. Uh, well, no, at Chelsea. Nil all again. Um, I feel like Kepa is just completely lost his confidence, is not worth playing at all. I mean, they had um, Hedicek, who's who came back from retirement as the as the secondary goalkeeper. That's how little they trusted Kepa um, in the Champions League. And I just think Mendy played really, really well and very excited because if they can get their defense right, they're obviously the the attack is so potent with uh, the Germans and uh, yeah uh, the American. We can just I feel like it's building blocks. I'm not sure what what did you reckon? I felt like this was a, a zero sum game for each team. They drop points. They're letting Liverpool slowly creep ahead of them away. It would have been good for either team to get points. Man United were the home team, so. Yeah, kind of disappointing for them. They probably needed a result, seeing as they haven't been too impressive in the Prem. Uh, no penalties to uh, scored this game, so Bruno Fernandes couldn't get a goal either. But yeah, really disappointing uh, from Man United's perspective. I thought, yeah, playing from home, you should do better than 
like to score, get the three points, you know, get the result. Yeah. Uh, Everton, it, they dropped points. They lost to Southampton. Red card to Lucas Dean, which was seemed a straight red as well, which seemed harsh. But when you think about last week's game against Liverpool, you got to kind of balance itself out there. But Carlo Ancelotti was not impressed with his side's performance. Yeah, well, they've been so strong lately. They've won, is that, I think that was seven or eight on the trot. And it's just disappointing to see, like, especially since the top two, or, well, I mean, top two, but the Aston Villa also lost. And it's just, I think it's so volatile at the top at the moment. Anyone, anyone can win. And especially since half the fixtures, uh, lots of people have game game in hands and all the fixtures haven't been really settled yet. So it's going to be a very interesting season because at the moment, I don't feel like there's a clear front runner. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I agree. There is uh, every team this season in the EPL looks like a top 10 finish or a top four finish or even relegation battle. Like you just don't know. It, week by week, it's going to change. And uh, I'm quite excited for the rest of the season to see how it develops. Uh, we had Liverpool get the win over Sheffield United 2-1. Uh, once again, defence looking a bit shaky, but they get a result, which is good. It's positive uh, after uh, Virgil van Dijk injuring his ACL. Uh, still, three points is good for Liverpool at this moment. Yeah, especially since yeah they are so volatile at the back with uh, Van Dijk out for the season. So that's going to be very difficult for Liverpool considering he's just their cornerstone. And especially since, I mean, Joe Gomez at the back, I don't have any confidence in him. And the Andy Robertson and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold aren't really defenders, mm. I don't think. Like, they're not traditional centre-backs. They can't play that centre-back role. And Fabinho got sent off in a, in a move that I... I don't think was a red card. Uh, he didn't get sent off. There was a penalty. And I don't think that was a penalty. Um, but I just, I think the Mo Salah disallowed goal was fantastic. But yeah, I think it was just a good game for Liverpool. They needed that win. That's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, when I say the name Patrick Bamford, do you think that's a hat-trick hero? I think that... <laughs> I think that Leeds are scary. I think that they're actually, they've got a good chance this year of getting that top eight finish, getting into those Europa League positions. I feel like they have the, they have the money, they have the backing and they have the, the skill and the manager to all do it. They just need to, it's kind of like Sheffield, either I think it was last season, mm. that sort of um, position I feel like they're in. And, yeah, I'm happy that he got the hat trick. Obviously, it's great, but I feel like they can continue this form. Leeds are an unpredictable monster, and they should be watched for, accounted for. They are coming for the top four, and it's yeah, as you said, very horrifying to watch. They took down Aston Villa; it's their first defeat of the season, away from home as well. And Bielsa's men—they just look stunning. They play such a great brand of football. I'm happy it's bringing such like a versatile style of play to the game. Especially England, it was everyone's like, oh yeah, Pep Guardiola this, Jurgen Klopp that. Now we got Marcelo Bielsa, the Godfather, the Don, and he's there, showing showing the young coaches how it's done, which is formidable, I'd say. 
Yeah, I mean, especially since um, I'm going to bring it back to last week, but that style of football that Everton were playing was not good. It wasn't nice to watch. What what happened basically is they just they were trying to kick it as far as they could and try and get that one header or that one sort of uh, possession that would lead them to the goal. And it's just not attractive to watch and it didn't work. And I'm glad that they are they played out from the back and it's all fluid, two touch, one touch. It's so much nicer to watch and probably brings more people to the game. Yeah, you got a point there, man. You got a point there. All right, after the after a quick song break, we're gonna be bringing back to uh, some Giratalia and swimming news, as well as a recap of the F1 Grand Prix in Portugal. First, a song. This is Murder by Danny featuring Greeley. You listen to the Sports Desk on scene this Wednesday morning. Finn, Kendra, and Luca. That was Murder by Denny featuring Greeley. We're going to go to some swimming news. So the ISL is happening at the moment. We are on match three, day two, and we're just going to quickly go through the results from the match. So in first place, we had LA Current, who have continued to have a lead throughout the ISL competition. They are on 535 points, followed by Tokyo Frogs, who are on 506 points. Now, the Tokyo Frogs are actually a debut team for this year's ISL, so they are doing very well considering it is their first time. In third place, we have Toronto Titans on 401 points, and then the Aqua Centurions in fourth place with 260 points. So from Day two match of the ISL, we had the women and men's 100 free where LA Currents took out the win in the women's free, but in the men's, the Aqua Centurions came first, which is much needed considering they are struggling on the ladder. Then we had the 200 fly, 100 back, the 100 IM. The 100 IM was actually taken out by the Tokyo Frogs, which was a good win by my Runa, who took out first. And then we had the 200 free. And a quick recap of the Giro d'Italia. It wrapped up in Milano the last uh, on early hours of Monday morning. Had Gagan Hart winning for Sun Web team uh, by a few milliseconds, I believe it was, taking the Maglia Rosa. All right, in the Formula One over the weekend, we had the Portuguese Grand Prix being held at the Portimao Circuit on the Algarve. Uh, yes, it was Lewis Hamilton taking the victory over Valtteri Bottas and Max Verstappen. 92 wins for Lewis Hamilton. Impressive stuff. Absolutely nuts. I think I don't understand how people are still saying that he's not great. He's not one of the best of all time. I don't. I think he is better. I've, I haven't been, I didn't follow F1 back then, but I feel like he's better than Schumacher. I feel like he's probably been more consistent i feel like he's going to win another championship probably win next year as well and i just think he's one of if not the greatest of all time yeah goes down as one of the best to ever drive a formula one car uh i'm, I'm still a Michael Schumacher fan i'll put it out there but still respecting <laughs> hamilton it is deserved and two wins shumi said it himself records are meant are there to be broken so there uh, the start was absolutely bonkers. I don't know about you, but lap one was crazy. Yeah, it was nuts. My my personal highlight was Kimi Raikkonen gaining 10 or 11 places in the first lap. 
which was absolutely crazy. And if he wasn't in an Alfa Romeo car, um, which is probably as fast as a shopping trolley, he would have probably done very well in the race. And even Carlos Sainz, if they if they all had the same sort of power, then and Mercedes just wasn't so the machine wasn't so incredibly just fast. I feel like it would have been a much different race. Um, but at the end of the day, you can't really blame that. So, yeah. Yeah, Hamilton, uh, he lapped. Uh, he lapped a qu- three quarters of the field, I think, up to, yeah, up to Gasly. He lapped everyone. Uh, the gap from Charles Leclerc, who finished fourth, was like one minute, which is uh, crazy. In terms of uh, racing statistics, it was a 66 lap race. Uh, Australia's Daniel Ricciardo finished in ninth after he had a, a pretty decent start, I'd say, as well, gaining a few places on the start from 10th. But then he like had trouble with the tires, managing the tires. The Renault wasn't as fast this weekend, fell back. Lance Stroll, he got a 10 second time penalty for collisions and cutting the track areas. Uh, some, uh, <laughs> some words there thrown from Lando Norris, who collected him. On the outside of turn one, Perez did well to come back to. He uh, he was c- tagged coming out of turn seven, I think it was, with uh, Max Verstappen came back to come uh, in seventh place. And yeah, it was overall. I think it was a decent race. Um, for the first five laps, probably if that was the whole tempo the whole way, I would have like had a heart attack. But still, <laughs> it was it was not bad for uh, the first Portuguese Grand Prix in a while. Yeah, I feel like, um, yeah, definitely the first bit of the race was much more exciting than the rest. But do you reckon this is it now? This is just Hamilton's one? There's no way. I don't think there's any way anyone's going to catch up to him in the driver's standings. Now, Bottas, is, uh, let's say his confidence is shook. The team don't really believe in him. Even when you see, like in qualifying, they fuel his car for one lap instead of two. Lewis Hamilton got about two goes at it in Q3 and then when he said he wanted to be on soft tires rather than hard they ignore him the team so it's Lewis's team uh, he's become the new Rubens Barrichello no offense to Rubens but it is what it is M2 driver you are not Bottas 3.0 I'm demoting you we're on the sports test this Wednesday morning with Finn Kedra and Luca Wake Up is the song from Gareth Thomas you're on scene and that was Wake Up by Gareth Thomas. So now we're going to go on to great sporting rivalries. And I don't think there's one better than Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, especially in their Aussie Open five-set tennis match. What do you guys think? Yeah, 2017 Australian Open. Uh, it was both like a comeback for each player. They uh, had, had suffered injuries in the previous years and for them to reach the the Grand Slam final in that year was an astonishing achievement. Federer was ranked as 17 player in the world and Nadal was number nine. Yeah, some crazy stuff there. Yeah, especially since I'm, I can't recall what year Nadal was in the 2014. Was it uh, 2014, I think? He was against Stan yeah. Wawrinka. Yeah. Um, so that's three years on, and he he had to he had an injury in that one. It seems he's had injuries his whole career, sort of minor injuries, but ones that kind of inhibit his play. And now Federer is getting older; he's getting more and more injuries. He's not that sort of invincible player he once was. So it's kind of coming 
to a head, I feel. I don't think they have many matches against each other, or they may have even played their last match. Yeah, it was a rematch of the 2009 Australian Open final, which Nadal had won in five sets. And the last time they played each other in a Grand Slam final was in 2011 in the French Open. In the 2017 Grand Slam final was 6-4, 3-6, 6-1, 3-6, 6-3 Federer. Do you remember watching that match, Kendra? Yeah, I think that these two players is that, I mean, obviously there was a stage where Federer seemed to be the more invincible player, but both of them, they're very quite different people, but they seem almost so similar in the way that they are so dominant. They play with so much sort of grace and they're very good around, like with the coordination around the tennis courts, they are very hard to beat. Both two very strong players that I think, yeah, have very different sort of skill sets in the way, but they're almost very similar. Would you agree with that? Yeah, both players enjoy playing from the baseline, wait until the other person played their first hand and they react. It's sort of like a judo move, let's say, to use each other, the opponent's weakness to their advantage. Uh, it's a very intelligent way of playing tennis and it, it, it keeps them into the game for as long an amount of time as possible. So it's especially uh, well played in a five-set or two, as you could see. Uh, in the fifth set of that game, I think Nadal was up 3-1 and Federer just stormed home to take it. Uh, I think the whole world was just happy that Federer got to get another Grand Slam victory at his age. Yeah, I, I guess who do you think is going to have the bigger lasting impact on the sport, Federer or Nadal? I think that Nadal is going to overtake Federer. I mean, he's still playing very well and he just took out the French Open, which he was very strong in. And I think that, I think he's going to be very determined to make sure that he is the leaving the longest lasting legacy. I mean, Federer is having a lot of injuries and is on the, I guess, later stages of his career. But Nadal seems to have a little bit of go in him still. Yeah, Nadal seems evergreen to me. He's found out like a second or third life and yeah it's his it's his next win let's say the these type of athletes they don't go away too easily what would you say finn who do you reckon is going to leave the longest lasting impact on the tennis world i feel like it's federer purely because every no one hates federer no one (laughs) everyone loves federer i know basically even if it's an australian versus federer the odds open you'll still get more federer fans um, I just think he's he's so much more established, even though they've probably been around a very similar amount of time. And I just feel like, yeah, he's going to... When you say... Of course, the big three will come up with Nadal, Djokovic and Federer. But I feel like it's always going to be Federer who's head of them. Indeed. Indeed. How was our talk on great sporting rivalries be sure to check us out on omni you can listen to the podcasted version of the sports desk here on sin uh, you can also check out what we're doing on uh, instagram and facebook pages that's the sports desk at sin we've been fan finn kendra and luca here this wednesday morning song we've been is by great sage it's called hands it's a nice slow jam there hope you enjoy it enjoy the rest of your day Shreya.